Hi, welcome to another episode of Book Bestie. Today I'm joined by Abby Voss to discuss The Scorpio Races by Maggie Steifbotter. Abby is a student at the Author Conservatory where she gets to work alongside published authors, agents, and editors. Abby recently became a published author herself at only 17 years old. She and some of her Author Conservatory counterparts just published an anthology called Voices of the Future, which we'll discuss with Abby at the end of the episode, along with information on a giveaway. I read her short story, The Little Tire Shop, and it is definitely a must read. Abby is an avid reader and writer. You should definitely check out her Instagram where she posts some really adorable reels. In addition to becoming a published author, Abby recently traveled to France where she discovered a love for Parisian hot chocolate. Although, Abby is a mocktail-making wizard. 10 out of 10 recommend having her make one of her mocktails if you get a chance. For those of you who haven't read the book, here's a short summary. Some race to win, others race to survive. It happens at the start of every November, the Scorpio races. Riders attempt to keep hold of their water horses long enough to make it to the finish line. Some riders live, others die. At age 19, Sean Kendrick is the returning champion. He is a young man of few words, and if he has any fears, he keeps them buried away deep, where no one else can see them. Puck Connolly is different. She never meant to ride in the Scorpio races, But fate hasn't given her much of a choice, so she enters the competition, the first girl ever to do so. She is in no way prepared for what is going to happen. Let's get into it, besties. Hi, Abby. Thank you so much for being on the episode. All right, so this is a reread for you. This is a book that you have already read. What Mm -hmm. brought you back to this book? Yes, so I think I read this... um, last year I think in 2022 which is crazy that that's already um like last year now we're entering 2024 but um fast year (laughs) yes um but really um I got on it because one of my best friends used to reread this book every year um and when I read it I just I love Maggie C. Fodder and like her writing style and how she just creates like such a strong sense of atmosphere um Hmm. and so I remember just like sending my best friend like multiple videos about this book and just being like it's so good and I feel like I can like I feel like I'm in like Thisbe and on the island and so um I just felt like it was the perfect time because it's you know set in November which I know we're a little past November but it just felt like you know we were already in the atmosphere so it worked out so do you think like from now on you're gonna start reading it every year like she does like end of October early November is the setting of the book do you think that's going to be like what you aim for I could see myself I honestly so I reread it this time without like taking notes or anything and now I want to reread it again taking notes <laughs> and, like annotating it um because right. there are so many places where I even want to just like put little sticky notes in and stuff because I just think the writing is so good so mm-hmm. do you have like a favorite passage or like one part of the book that especially speaks to you or just the whole thing is just magical oh that's a good question let me see if I can find it quickly okay Um, yeah no worries if not because I know the one scene that from my first read that like gave me chills um is the scene where um Sean comes over Mm -hmm. um to Puck's house Um, Oh, for dinner? For dinner. And, like, I just remember that one, like, just giving me literal chills. And the dialogue there was just, like, 
just so good. So I think that might be my favorite scene. I'm not okay. sure. Cool. So I did, speaking of like dialogue, so there was a lot of, in this book, so there there was a lot of communication, but there wasn't a lot of communication. It wasn't strictly verbal, I guess is what mm. I'm saying. So like there was a lot of nonverbal communication, like between Sean and Cor and between Puck and Dove, and also sometimes between Sean and Puck. Do you think that there's like a deeper meaning to that or do you think that just conveys like the depth of their relationship is that a thing that like struck you at all while you were reading it Ooh, (laughs) i'm loving your reactions to my (laughs) questions so far that's (laughs) that's actually a really good question because i was gonna mention i love like the actual like the spoken dialogue i think is so good because there's um, it just feels very specific to the characters, but I didn't think about the unspoken dialogue. Um, I feel like, I mean, I think especially between like Sean and Cor and Puck and mm-hmm. Dove, like the unspoken communication, like, I feel like it just highlights like a level of trust that you have, even though Sean's always like, I can't fully trust Cor, but I'm like, buddy, right. you really <laughs> trust him. Um, but I feel like it's like a, a level of communication that they have or a level mm-hmm. of trust that they have. Um, and then now that you're talking about like the unspoken communication between Puck and Sean, it is almost like they have like, they have that same bond. Like it, they set it up between the horses and then it's like, but they also have the same bond. <gasps> That's really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think it, so I guess there was like some of that too between Puck and Finn Mm -hmm. and so I think that like kind of contributed to Puck and Sean having like some nonverbal communication because Puck was able to pick up on like when when men need to be pensive and and when they're not ready to like say things Mm -hmm. um so like in that regard do you think maybe like the nonverbal communication is just how the author defines gender maybe like Puck is definitely like the more verbal character, I would say, because she's she's speaking her mind more than others are. Yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. Um, <laughs> You're really boosting my ego right now. Thank you. So. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm like, man, you picked up on a ton. Because I'm trying to think. Um, I read other books by Maggie C. Fodder, um, okay. and now I'm like, I need to go reread those to see also how that translates. I think. I mean, there are a lot of parts in the book. There's one line um, where I think it's Brian, one of like the Islanders says to her, like, she's wild, like she's a wild thing. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I do wonder, women in the story, like um, Peg and um, like the the women at the, um, I can't remember their names right now, but like Elizabeth. Like Fathom and Sons. Yes. Those those ladies, yeah. Yes. And they also are a lot more communicative than any of the guys. Mm-hmm. so I could see that I could also just see it like being something the island as well like the um, culture yeah like the culture of the island and all of that um, oh cool. yeah okay especially with you know there's a scene in the races where they don't want pucks to compete and all of that um but you think it would almost be the opposite of like women not speaking because they're not allowed to do certain things right yeah yeah well so that's interesting too because like so in the races definitely like women hadn't 
participated before, but it didn't really seem like there was a lot of, I guess, gender inequality on the island. Like, uh, I don't remember Peg's husband, but their relationship, it seemed like it was like an equal partnership. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And I guess that's actually the only relationship that I can really remember where, where we get to see the husband and the wife like actually in real time unless I'm forgetting somebody but um I forgot my point oh no you're good yeah so yeah I I was um so like it was interesting that typically women weren't allowed in the races but like there didn't seem to be that type of um aversion to women participating in things outside of the races right and I I didn't think about that that's interesting yeah and I don't know if I could like pull a greater point from that right now <laughs> but it is just the the contrast is interesting where like the town was more like women's domain and then the um you know the beach was more like where the men were um the beach and the sea that's true yeah because there there are a lot of men who were fishermen yeah okay yeah I didn't think about that either so there was like one part where um, so identity was definitely like a, a thing within the book. Like there were mm-hmm. the tourists versus the islanders, and then like yeah. even within the islanders, it was like you belonged here or you didn't belong here. Um, and then there was within the races, there was like you're you're allowed to participate or you're a woman. Um, do you think that? So Sean, in my mind, seems to sort of exist in like two spheres of of identity like Mm -hmm. I think a couple of times somebody says um Sean has one foot on land and one foot in the ocean or one foot in the Mm -hmm. sea or whatever do you do you think that I'm gonna remember what my point was (laughs) (laughs) you're gonna remember what your point was Um, do you, do you think he represents, like, what the island aspires to be? Mm. Do you, like, what do you think, do you think he represents, I guess, anything? Or is it just, like, Sean's cool because he can be both things? I do think Sean is very cool. Um, (laughs) Um, that's so interesting because I feel like there's a line, um, there's a conversation where Puck and that Puck and Sean have um and Puck's talking about how she loves the island because like they're not trying to be anything or they're not trying to like do anything but they could just be there and like be themselves and all of that um Mm -hmm. and I almost feel like sometimes Puck represents like the rural aspect of the island and like Sean represents more like the racing and stuff like that um but I do think hmm well, yeah, I guess that does make sense because, like, Puck, for the most part, she only interacts with Islanders, whereas Sean is, like, regularly interacting with the tourists who are coming to buy mm. the horses. So, yeah, that that's a cool, like, he he's that, like, middleman between the outside world and yeah. Thisbe. I almost feel like he, like begins to fall more in love with the island as he like begins to fall in love with Puck which is so sweet mm-hmm. um, it is sweet yeah because you know then at the end well spoilers but like you know he he kind of lets Core go and like there's 
like he's kind of solidifying his place more on mm-hmm. um, the island rather than like in the sea. Right, right. And there was like a point where I don't remember Holiday. I think that was the yes. Oh my gosh, I love him. <laughs> yeah, he was a cool character. My favorite part. This is a like a derailment, but my favorite part was when he was coming down the stairs in the hotel, and he had lipstick on his shirt collar. He was like, um, "Oh, she was blind. She was trying to kiss my ear." <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I love it. That gave me so many haws. Um, and then I forgot that that one of the sisters from the shop was blind. It took me a second to be like, <laughs> oh my gosh, it's her. Um, anyways. Uh, oh no, I lost it. Oh, and there was one point where Holiday was like, well, we can take Core to the mainland and we can like reset his leg. He won't be able to run again, but like he'd be able to walk. And even even then, Sean was like, no, like that's not where he belongs. He belongs here and in the water mm-hmm. um but that was so when he went to let him go and cores in the water like come back <laughs> are you coming with me i like i lost it i absolutely lost it and then core didn't go and i was oh, i was in tears i was in literal tears that messed me up i'm right there with you mm-hmm. do you have a favorite character in the book Ooh, I mean, I was actually just thinking about this because I feel like Finn is such an underrated character. (gasps) Finn is my favorite. Yes! I just love him. Like, his little, um, just, like, quirk, like, he's just such a specific character, um, Mm. where he just has things about him, like, he doesn't like compliments or, like, there's little details where it just fits him and he just feels like such a, like, rounded person and I just I love him he's he cracks yeah. me up he yeah he's I think it's uh it's kind of cool to see a character like assumedly he has OCD or he has like some anxiety that brings out OCD traits or he has something going on mm-hmm. and I love that like it's just accepted like it's not like we're trying to break it down or figure out what's going on with him it's just yeah. like this is who Finn is and we love him for it and like maybe let's not stress him out but also like sometimes he stresses me out and I want to be mad at him (laughs) and I thought that was really cool all of that yes I liked him a lot and then when he oh when he sold um when he sold the car (gasps) just like sneaky and then he brought the little moon cakes or whatever they're called oh oh I know know. yeah that and then you bet when you bet on um on puck winning uh, yeah, Puck, what, I guess that's how betting, I don't actually know how betting sports betting is, <laughs> but he, he had, like, all that money. That yes. was fantastic. Oh, my goodness. Absolutely. I I just love him, and I feel like that's, again, something that, um, if you get into Maggie's other books, which I definitely recommend, um, she's very good at, like, just creating characters that don't feel like any other characters like no characters feel the same and they all have like their very specific things about them where you just they feel I don't know like very tangible like you know them you could have a conversation with them um just through the way that she crafts them both with like um like Puck has a couple lines where she's describing Finn I just read one of them earlier today um I don't know if I can find it um but like um 
the way that other characters view characters just feels so specific, but also the way that they talk. Like Finn, the way he talks is so specific because um, he doesn't say much, but what he does say um, is so great. So I love him. Do you so this book alternates between Puck and Sean's perspective? Do you like that that alternating? Mm, I do like the alternating, and I feel like it's done well, at least for me, because I'll read chapters or I'll read books where I'm like, I only care about one POV character, and the rest, right? "Ah." Um, and so I like that they're very short chapters too, so that I feel like I'm always jumping from one character character to the next I don't feel like I'm um like too long in one and some chapters are really short and some are long like it just feels like a very um it it feels like a good way to like move through the story but yeah yeah I I kept getting frustrated I guess because so there would be like times when Sean and Puck were interacting like they were having maybe like a flirtatious moment or like a maybe could be flirtatious moment and we would get one of their perspectives mostly it was like Puck's perspective and I wanted to like be able to have Sean's perspective Mm. but like go back in time but how Maggie like sets up the book is you're continuing through the timeline but you're just alternating the story like you're never getting the same scene from both perspectives yeah and that that really frustrated me because <laughs> I wanted to have like I guess more of that uh insight into mm-hmm. how Sean was feeling about Puck and I know like ultimately we know how strongly he feels just by like his actions considering like he doesn't do like he doesn't kiss other ladies wrists assumedly um or make them bracelets um or train them in the races so like we know that he cares about her but I just wanted that insight so I do get that I mean I will always take more like Sean scenes so um I mean I wonder because going back to I don't know if this was like intentionally done or if it's just how the story was written but going to back back to like how Sean mainly communicates like very Mm -hmm. non-verbally if like it was intentional that we don't get as much of his POV because he's not like a, oh, he's not okay. as open as Puck is, um, yeah. Or if that's just how the chapters fill out, because like I would totally take you know like a short story or a novella of those scenes in Sean's POV. <laughs> um, that would be fantastic. I would love that. <laughs> that would be interesting too to like go back in the book and just see what the breakdown is like. I wonder if Puck has more pages because she is more, like, verbose. Mm, yeah. Hmm. All right, we got some research to do. We got to go back. We do, yeah. Yeah, but that would be, like, a cool way for the author to, like, like further cement how nonverbal mm-hmm. Sean is. That's cool. Well, I mean, I guess if that is the case, that's cool. Otherwise, wasted <laughs> opportunity. Yes. absolutely so the beginning of the book um uh oh boy I lost it's back okay um (laughs) Puck decides to participate in the races because Gabe tells them that he's going to the mainland do you think that Gabe leaving the island 
is justified like how did you Mm. how did you feel about that in the beginning and then like once you got more insight into his decision how did you feel about it then Gabe leaving the island is always a tough one for me because it's like technically Puck like didn't reach her goal because she didn't stop Gabe from going um Mm -hmm. but it also feels very like real I guess like I like stories where you know, a lot of times when a story starts out with the goal of, like, changing something, you're like, well, at least I know by the end this thing's going to be changed or whatever. And so right. I like when things feel realistic. I feel like Suzanne Collins, the author of The Hunger Games, is also very good at, like, writing stories where it's not always how you want it to turn out, but right. it's how it is. <laughs> and she's just like, that's what I have for you. Um, yeah. I think you guys just talked about Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, right, on the podcast? Yep. Okay. Yeah, I did that with my brother, yeah. Yes. Um... And so I feel like I feel like that one is a hard like twist, I guess, for me to swallow that he does still end up leaving. Um, but also I do think it's interesting just like showing the contrast of how Puck starts at the beginning versus the growth she goes through and like how she overcomes it at the end, if that makes sense. Um, and mm-hmm. just like the support that she has at the end. So yeah, I don't know. I'm curious. What what were your thoughts on Gabe leaving? So when he first said that he was leaving, like knowing that Puck and Finn were going to have to be like fending, well, we assume that they're going to have to be fending for themselves. I got really irritated. I was like, this dude doesn't even care about anybody but himself. And then when Malvern came and was like, actually, you guys are about to lose the house (laughs) and then Gabe was still leaving, then that was like another level of anger. But then after Puck went to confession and um, I don't remember the preacher's name um, Mm -hmm. or the pastor's name. I don't remember what the word is for for Catholicism. But when she went and she did confession, um, he was like, your brother was here the other day and he was crying. And Puck was like, I've never seen Gabe cry Mm -hmm. ever. And he was saying something like, the father was saying something like, um, like, you belong to this island like he doesn't belong to this island or, yeah, or something yeah. along those lines. And after hearing that, I I started to appreciate a little bit more that, like, Gabe actually was conflicted about his decision. It was something that he probably thought about a lot and he was guilty over making the decision but then he was also planning on like sending money back to them from the mainland because like more jobs were available on the mainland. Mm-hmm. So by the end of it, I didn't hate him as much. But at the <laughs> beginning, in the middle, I I was gonna be okay if a water horse <laughs> ate him. <laughs> um, I totally. I think I feel the exact same way. I mean, I think it's. It's like, uh, Gabe, if you just communicated all of this in the beginning, (laughs) again, that unspoken communication, um, or I guess unspoken non-communication for this case. Um, No communication. No communication. Um, Because, yeah, the scene where, like, he, um, Puck's talking to him in the tavern, um, I'm just like, ugh. Oh, oh I when he's want... drunk? Yeah, yeah. I just want to oh, shake him. Punch him in the face. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, did, how do you pronounce the water horse name? Mm. Do you know I how like... to do it? 
Oh, I was just thinking about this because how I pronounce it in my head is a lot different than like when um, Holly, is that the American, right? When he's pronouncing it um, I and they like kind of spell it out. I was like, oh, that's a lot different. Um, I'm going to see if I can find it real quick. Because I feel like it's something like. I think in the book they said like in that scene, I think it was Kapolushka or something. Yes. Kapolushka, I think. Yep. Kapolushka, which is not how I pronounce it in my head at all. No, same. Yeah, that's one that I, like, every time I read it, I was trying to be like, this is not how you pronounce it, Megan. You're supposed to pronounce <laughs> it like this. But in my head, I I think I did Kapolusi was how I pronounced it in my head. I think I did Kapoliuskis, which is like adding, <laughs> like, moving all the word letters around. Um <laughs> Yours has a lot more flourish. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But it's so funny because one of my friends, um, she listens to audiobooks. She doesn't read um, as like physical books as much. And so we'll be talking about the same book. And I'll be pronouncing, especially when you're reading like a bunch of fantasy names or something. Oh, I'll be yeah. pronouncing all these things. And she's like, Abby, <laughs> this is not how that's pronounced. Um, and so she corrects me in a lot of pronunciation. <laughs> Well, that's nice that she does that for you, I guess, like, versus you going out into the world and just <laughs> announcing things. Also true, yes. Um, My brother and I were actually, we were talking about that during his episode, and we were saying, like, when we first read Harry Potter, um, we both thought Hermione's name was pronounced, like, Hermione, <laughs> like the, which isn't, like, a super complicated name. Like, that's a fairly common name in the UK, but we both were, were just, like, totally flabbergasted when we saw the movies and it turned out it was pronounced Hermione so I can't even imagine I can't I can't remember a single fantasy character besides uh Harry Potter characters at the moment and and these characters but yeah I can't imagine like really intense long-named fantasy characters not not knowing how to pronounce that would be a definite for me yes no I um I do the same thing all the time. Um, I have not had that happen as much with Hermione. <laughs> um, but definitely with other like Harry Potter things. I'm trying to think. There was one that just came up recently, but I can't remember it right now. Um, but yeah, definitely been there. <laughs> so how? She... Wait, I lost it. Oh, so like that the couple Ushka, that's supposed to be the plural water horses mm -hmm. do you know how to pronounce the singular is it just kapil ushka instead yeah that's what i would guess okay okay i should have just googled this but i was like abby will know <laughs> your guess is as good as mine um, um yeah <laughs> so i was looking up the um the background a little bit on this book and I didn't realize that this was actually based on uh like a legend of water horses like this Maggie got this uh story idea from an actual legend which was oh, really cool I feel like I've heard yes. this story but I forgot about that <gasps> that's for really that's cool. I really enjoy stories like that where like you hear a myth and then somebody sort of makes it reality like you get to live mm -hmm. in a world where like 
I haven't read anything like this, but I imagine like a Loch Ness monster mm. story would be like really fantastic. Yeah. Does does Maggie's other or sorry, do Maggie's other books address different myths and legends like elsewhere? So, um, from the ones I've read, so I've read All the Crooked Saints and then um half of the Raven Boys Quartet. I haven't finished that one. Um <laughs> And then Bravely. And Bravely is actually a retelling of um, Disney's Brave. Oh, um, cool. Okay. And that one was really, really good. And it ties in, I think, with some other... Um, I guess Brave is set in Scotland, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think yeah, so. So it ties in with like some other like Scottish legends, um, which is really cool. I don't think all the Crooked Saints or the Raven Boys ties into specific legends, but... I can't say for sure because they all have the same kind of vibe of like um magic that feels like legends um and magic that's not necessarily like explained um which is kind of like the genre of magical realism where the magic just kind right. of exists <laughs> um right, instead right. of having like a whole comp like complex you know backstory on how it all works do you think that so sean in the book has he seems to have like a uh a certain level of comfortability with the water horses that the other characters don't have. Mm-hmm. And there are a couple of times where people attribute attributed his skills to magic. Do you think what he had was magic or do you think he just took the time to, to get to know the water horses better than others did? Mm. That's a good question. I mean, I think, which by the way, I'm sorry if you can hear the sirens going on outside too. Um, oh no worries i mean downtown it's always yes, happening I know. <laughs> exactly. um but i never thought of that really before i mean i don't maybe he is magic i don't know because i do feel like there's something where he does stand apart from like everybody else in the island in the way that he listens um and the way mm-hmm. that he pays attention to things that other people don't and so I feel like that could lend itself well to just he's taken the time to like listen to the horses and he feels more of a relatability and like kinship because he is kind of more alone. And so that's almost like his family. Um, but I also feel like there are other people um, who might have like Puck, I feel like might be somebody that would have taken the time to get. She doesn't have the same connection to them. Um, right. So, yeah, I might say that Sean is, has a little bit of magic. Yeah, that's my boy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so, okay, so you are you are a teenage girl. Yes. Um, <laughs> Puck is also a teenage girl. Mm-hmm. So I haven't, I'm in my 30s. I, I don't, being a teenager seems like it was so long ago. Um, do you feel like most YA novels that are told from a teenage girl's perspective is relatable? Like, did you feel like you could relate to Puck? Like, do you think how she thought of Sean and how she just thought of, like, her responsibilities was realistic? Mm, that's a good question. Well, also, I'm reeling over that you said you're in your 30s, because if you had asked me, I legit would have said early 20s. So... Um, Thank but you. I moisturize. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that makes all the difference. Um, but 
I think, so most YA, I feel like most characters, especially when it comes to like romantic relationships, feel um, aged up, Um, especially now that I am 17 and most protagonists that I read are actually 17 and I'm like, whoa, Um, (laughs) like this would be way too much for me to handle right now. Um, Yeah. But I feel like Puck specifically, I do think she feels very true to like the way that she thinks, especially like the, there are several lines where some people look at her like a child and then other people look at her as an adult and she's walking this line of like trying, trying to navigate that of like when people are looking her, looking at her as a child, how she like can act older, but also when people are looking at her as an adult, how she needs to like, um, how she needs to step up to the plate in that way. And so I feel like, um, especially because she's definitely like forced to grow up in this area, I do feel like she um, feels very true to like teenage form um, and just her her thought processes and like the way that she thinks about things, which is sometimes like irrational. Like she sometimes lashes out and she gets like frustrated. Um, right. Because a reader sometimes can be like, no, 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 just like stay calm, it's all okay. Um, <laughs> But I feel like that, and also like her relationships with her brothers feel like very um, true to age and all of that. So I feel like Puck is written very accurately. Um, I do like, yeah, I really like the writing for Puck here. I did, there was one part where, um, so she was talking about, I think how she had a crush on a boy when she, how she phrased it was like, so long ago when she was 15 so it was like the year before and she said um she would never she would never do that to herself again like have a crush on a boy and that one that one part like kind of pulled me out of it because I remember when I was 16 I was like well I did have a crush on this boy but now I have a crush (laughs) on this boy like I do not remember having the maturity to be like, well, that was awful. Let's never have a crush ever again. Um, that one, I could definitely see being a little bit more inaccurate. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think part of that could be like attributed to Puck is more, she feels a little bit more matter of fact than like most teenage girls, I think. Um mm-hmm. But, I mean, obviously she fails at that anyway. So she might want to, but she does not succeed. Yeah. And I I guess, like, we do see that because she has some sort of affection towards Sean before it becomes, like, a solidified thing. Mm -hmm. So so she's just lying to herself and she's lying to us is what you're saying. I think she might be a little bit in denial. All right. Okay. That does make a lot of sense. I remember being in denial quite a bit when I was 16. So it's actually all adding up now. Yep. <laughs> that's the way oh. to do it. What? Sorry. I just said that's the way to do it, which is. Oh. Not yeah, actually, definitely. That's the healthy way to go about. <laughs> um, so my next question that um, I don't really it's not like a fully formed question but there's like a so the water horses are dragged out of the water to be land horses because they're fast and they can make people money and they can win them races and such but so like the transition from being in the water to being on land seems to be really extensive 
Um, but then as soon as the horses go back into the water, their transition back to being a water horse is almost immediate. Like there, I don't remember which horse it was, but I think it was from Puck's perspective where one of the horses was like charging into the water and its eyes started like elongating or something like that. The people started mm-hmm. elongating and like the, the nostrils started like closing up some and like its spine shifted somehow. There was like some sort of transition that was super obvious as soon as the horse was was mostly in the water. Mm-hmm. Do you think that there's like some sort of deeper meaning that the author is going for? Like like um, people are a slave to their true nature. Like there's no way to avoid being who you really are. I think that's my question. Yeah, that feels right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's a good question. I don't know. I don't know if I quite would have pulled that out. um, Because I feel like more what I took from it is just that these creatures are like animals and it's unnatural for them to be outside of like their natural state like their natural habitat I don't know if I put Mm -hmm. a deeper meaning from that I think I would have to think on that more I'm not sure huh okay it could just be there was something that I either watched or I read it recently but it, it was um people had contacted like really well known published authors and they were like, hey, my English teacher was telling me how this scene means that um, America is ultimately heading towards demise or something like that. Like there was this really deep theme that this English teacher was pushing. And the author was like, no, um, that guy just really doesn't like sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> And I feel like sometimes when I'm preparing questions for this podcast, I'm I'm like going into an English teacher mode where I'm like, could this be a deeper meaning? Whereas like maybe I should just enjoy it for what it is. It's these horses are wild animals. <laughs> that no, I mean I love the deeper pulling out. And I've had that just even as like an author. I remember when I was pitching one of my novels um to an agent. And he was kind of like looking at my blurb for it. And he was like, oh, so this kind of represents this theme and like pulls out this way. I just went like, uh-huh, yeah, that's it. <laughs> like I hadn't put that together even in my own brain. But I was like, you're right, it does. Um, so so I- do you think it's like your subconscious coming through? Like, do you think it's just when you're an author, it's just out of your hands? You just have deeper meaning pouring out of you? I think, I do think so. I mean, I feel like, I feel like authors that write very real human emotions and very real human experiences, um, which I would say Magnus T. Fodder is an author that I think, obviously there's magic and that's not real and all of that. Um, but I mean, some people might say it's real, but I don't know if water horses are quite real. Um, but like, um, there's an element of fantasy Um but I feel like the core of it is still these really real human emotions of like um, Puck dealing with her siblings and her brothers and navigating that growing up relationship and Sean desiring freedom and wanting to be independent. And so I think authors that write those like really real situations 
automatically people are going to come into it with their own their own burdens and their own perspectives. And so from that, it brings out like a, a richer story um, that the author might not even have known they were writing, but people put themselves into their the stories that they read. And so I do think that with every person that reads it, something new is going to be pulled out of it. And um, when you're writing true to human character, like there's just such a breadth of that, that there are always new things that you're going to pull out. So yeah, I think so. That was really well said. I like that a lot. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I've been thinking about that a lot just as I like continue to write and continue to grow in my craft um, of of wanting to be an author that is one day able to write those really real human emotions. And so um, I always love studying authors like like Maggie that are able to do that. Yeah, definitely. I think I saw. So I don't know if you've read Lessons in Chemistry. Um but I saw a clip from it the other day, and I can't remember if it's in the book because I, I read the book like three months ago. Um, <laughs> but there's a part where where uh, the main character, and I can't think of her name right now, but she is like, I don't understand why people reread books. And her partner in the book is uh, explaining to her the books don't change, but the people reading it change. So like as you become a different person, like as you experience new things, how you interpret the book or what you take from the book changes. So I think that's similar to what you're saying. Like you're as an author, you're writing you're writing your story, but how people come to the story, what they've gone through is going to change their interpretation. That's yeah. really cool. That's a really cool thought. And it's also a little bit sad because, like, what if I want to read what you're reading? <laughs> yes. <You> know? <laughs> yes. Everybody having, like, their own perspective of it does make it kind of a very, like, subjective view of, of the work. I guess that's why we have book clubs and book club <laughs> podcasts. Exactly. Yeah. That's why we have <laughs> book besties. Yes. Yes. You're getting it. Yes. <laughs> um, so there, we talked a little bit earlier about um, how Puck is a woman. Women aren't allowed to race. Well, there isn't a written rule, but women haven't raced in the Scorpio races before. Mm -hmm. uh, she gets a lot of beef for participating. Um and not only is she a woman, but she's also riding a land horse and not a water horse. So she's she's breaking tradition. Yes. Um, do you think that do you think that represents Thisbe's adaptability? Like it seems like Thisbe's able to roll with the punches a lot, or do you think that is a sign of of Puck sort of forcing progress onto people who are maybe living in the past mm. or maybe something else maybe it doesn't have a deeper meaning <laughs> no that's really interesting <clears throat> I do feel like it I mean like we've already talked about Puck is a character that I think is very tied to the island and kind of represents a lot of like the heart of the island and what it's actually like meant to be and how it actually is um I mean, if 
there's already magic horses and so many things that are like unexplained magic. So if we were going to give like a spirit to the island, I feel like um, Puck would definitely fit that kind of like hard-willed, hard-working mentality. Um, and so I do feel like it's it's almost a symbol of like, like you were saying, like the island is something that adapts with the weather. And it's it's described a lot as like a very harsh, like landscape and very harsh island. There's like wind mm-hmm. and cliffs and all of that. And so I think the island is constantly adapting and constantly changing. Um, and so I could definitely see Puck being a symbol of like <clears throat> representing, you know, the island changing and how it's time to like continue forward and all of that. Um, yeah, that's a really interesting question. There was a part two where, um, not a part two, the number, but a part yes. also, <laughs> where, uh, like, after that big storm, first of all, actually, when that big storm was happening and they could hear the water horses, like, coming onto their property mm-hmm. and they're, like, bunkered down mm-hmm. and they see the water horse, like, peer around the side of the lean-to, I mm-hmm. almost pooped myself. <laughs> I was t- terrified yes I couldn't even like fully like the water horses are still like kind of blurry in my brain like I don't think I can clearly envision them but I just picture this like black mask and you can you know it's there you know it's gonna probably kill you but like Mm -hmm. it's black and it's dark outside so you can't really see it it just it was terrifying that scared me um (laughs) but after that storm uh, Puck and Finn and Gabe, they're on their way back to the house, and Puck says something like, it it doesn't even look like it's stormed, like there's maybe uh, like a puddle here and there, so I don't remember exactly what her description was, but it I think that speaks to like, like we were saying, like the adaptability of the island, like mm-hmm. the island was able to just absorb that storm, mm-hmm. um, and even the cat Puffin, I think, was the cat's name. Even the cat was able to, like, roll with the punches and, like, lost part of his tail, which was sad. But, like, he survived all of that. Yeah. Definitely. That was awesome. Yes. Go Puffin. Um, (laughs) But, yeah. Poor guy. It is interesting that, like, the townspeople seem to be the last, like, person to adapt um, Mm. to the island. Um. And I think the contrast between the townspeople and then also like the the people from the mainland and the tourists is like super interesting, um, and just how how they also view the tourists because I I feel like um, like they're also kind of set in their ways where they don't always appreciate all the tourists coming in and like changing things up and all of that. Um, mm-hmm where they were more like, okay, we just have to put up with these people for, like, this month, and then they go back, and it's fine. Um, right, and it pays for the year. Right, exactly. Um, where, obviously, like, it seems like the tourists even, um, or at least, like, um, George Hawley, who's um, the the American, like, he, you know, was encouraging um, Sean to, like, try to buy core again and all of those things. Like, they even seem more um, willing to adapt Versus, like, the island people that are just like, no, this is the way it is. Oh, that's true. Yeah, that's a good point. He's such a good character. I enjoy him a lot. Yes. (laughs) Me too. 
Well, that's all that I thought of ahead of time to talk about. Is there any point um, of the book that you want to break, bring up or mm. talk about or anything? Well, there was one thing that I noticed, and this is kind of like a writer like nerding out on the writing <laughs> of it. Um, so I'll be like brief and not bore you <laughs> in this, but um, I, in writing, um, one of the things that I feel like most people that are like book fans have heard is like show, don't tell. Um, where like you're supposed to show emotion through like body language and stuff like that rather than just telling it and being like she was sad or whatever. Um, right. And one thing that has changed my perspective on writing this year um, is I went to a conference and heard a speech by Donald Moss. He's a literary agent and he's written several books on the emotional craft of fiction. That's one of his books. Um, and he talked about like using telling um, to like let your character kind of rant on the page um, because typically we tell authors like don't tell um, because that's not interesting to the reader. That's, um, you know, not artful. That's just telling them what they need to know versus showing it in an artful way. But his perspective was like, um, you know, I'm not going to feel emotion from you telling me like, oh, her stomach turned or whatever. Like, that's not going to make me feel anything. But if you mm-hmm. give me like three paragraphs of your character talking about why they're scared, that's going to make me like, again, going back to like a reader seeing themselves in a story, like that's going to make them kind of relate to the character, be able to see connections between themselves and the character. And so as I was reading this, I was just like nerding out over the <laughs> character dialogue and like how Puck like we were talking about the scene where she confronts Gabe um, at the tavern and like all of her dial or like internal, you know, monologue there was just so on point because she's talking about like, oh, I really want to punch him right now. And like all of these little details that like are kind of, they're just telling you like how she's feeling. They're not showing you like she clenched her fist or something like that. She's just like, I really want to punch him. Um, (laughs) But it made me feel more on board with her versus like a physical action that she could have done um and it made me feel closer to her too because like it was all in her voice and it felt very true to form for her and all of that um and honestly even like going back to like the the unspoken communication so much of that is done through um like telling versus just showing obviously there are actions that they show but there's also a lot of telling in the unspoken communication of like just them telling us how they understand each other's like unspoken communication and all of that. So um, anyway, that was like my nerdy moment reading, rereading this. I was just like, oh my gosh, like there's so much internal monologue of the characters and it just is used so well to like really make you root for the characters and understand them better. Um, And there's a lot of, sorry. Sorry, sorry. No, 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 no. You go ahead. I was just going to say, there's a lot of witty lines of dialogue too, like internal when I say dialogue, I mean, like, internal monologue, I guess is actually what I mean. Because um, mm-hmm. there's not two people. But, um, like, there's one page that I just flagged just because um, it made me, like, laugh out loud. And I looked up at my mom and I just had to, like, tell her this line. Um, just because it's so specific because Puck is, is in the middle of the book when um, uh, uh, Gabe walks out of church. Um, and she just goes like, and now I definitely need to go to confession because I've not only thought dark things about my brother, but I've thought them while in mass. Um, <laughs> yeah. slightly uncomfortable to know that if I die in the next few hours, I'll go to hell, but I'll have to get outside before the tide comes in and all the riders disappear. And there's like, 
like that's just so specific and it's just it cracks me up like the um just internal monologue from the characters so yeah there was another time like speaking of the confession thing um there was another time where she was talking to Finn. It was like after she rode core with Sean and she gets home super late and Finn's like freaking out like the whole house is clean. He ends up moving his mattress into um into Puck's room and he was like, "So what did the father give you?" And it was two Hail Marys and uh, I can't remember what the saint was from the island, <laughs> but she was like two Hail Mar- Marys and a this. And he was like, that's it after how horrible you've been this week or something <laughs> like that. And I was like, that's, yes. that's such an appropriate, like, sibling conversation. Mm-hmm. That made me so happy. But, yeah, I definitely agree. Like, especially, like, you were saying in the tavern, like, not everybody, when they want to punch somebody, actually clinch their fist. Like, that's that's not always a, a reaction. But there are a bunch of times where I want to punch somebody. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, I do. I do appreciate that now that you said that, because that's not something that I I really appreciated as I was reading it. But yeah, that's super cool. Do you feel like there are other things that you appreciate more with reading, having written, like being a, a writer, being now a published writer? Yes. Um, do you feel like there are other things besides the show not tell? Mm. Um that like different elements I guess of writing that you appreciate more now that's a good question I mean definitely I appreciate anything that I read just because um I think it's so funny like going from having a picture of like what being an author was like and like um you know having an image of you know you sit at your desk and you type on your laptop and now that I'm <laughs> yeah a writer I know that's completely not accurate like I've written in the weirdest places um and a lot of it just comes from you know like oh you'll just write wherever you are in a cafe um on a bed and like um you know just downtown and so um I think it's so interesting reading now having the perspective of like one knowing that the first drafts of this was definitely so messy because any book is going to be so messy in the first draft and so having the perspective of like how much work has gone into a story um And I'm always so curious what authors first drafts like turn out to be because I know my stories can often change a lot from the first draft. Um, Mm -hmm. But also just like the specific things that I know take like intentional work, like making each character feel very specific, even the side characters, like work goes into that because you're, you're putting together what, you know, I always love the mention of like, um, is it Tommy Faulkner? Is that his name? Um, Because she always mentions his pretty lips. And that just cracks oh, me up yeah. because it's like such a specific detail. But to think that somebody like intentionally thought about that, they were like, "Oh, I have this character. How can I make it <laughs> specific?" Um, yes, just give him some pretty lips. Like that just cracks me up. Um, so I think also just the very specific characterization, even for side characters. You know, you talk about Peg too, and like how everybody's in love with her because she could cut out um, somebody's heart neatly. Like that's so specific. And you had to think about that, but when you <laughs> read it, you don't really think about it. So anyway, yeah, I definitely, um, definitely appreciate like any little details that I read. That's cool. That's awesome. Do you, so um, I'd like to move into your polished work, but do you have anything else that you want to bring up about Scorpio races before we do that? 
Oh gosh, I feel like there's always more things that I could bring up, but um, <laughs> I will not make this episode go super long. So um, no, I honestly, I loved your questions too. They made me think about things that I hadn't thought about before. So when I go back and annotate it, I'll have to like keep in mind all of those things. Yeah, I'm just out here changing lives, you know, just another day One on Bookfesty. Exactly. <laughs> Okay, so Abby, you are a published author. Yes. So, do you want to uh, do you want to give like a short description of your published work yes. for the audience? Absolutely. Um, so, my published work is called Voices of the Future. It is a short story anthology um, that weaves together short stories of family and fearlessness. Um, and there are nine authors in the anthology, so I'm one of the nine, um, and they are all young authors from the same, um, conservatory for authors that I'm a part of, so this is kind of like, we've been studying writing, we've been training for, um, about four years, and now we're finally, like, able to put our, our first work out into the world, um, and so it's really a place to discover, like, the next generation of storytellers, um, and all of these girls that have written, um, uh, are people that, like, I think you're going to hear about them again, um, either on the New York Times bestseller list or somewhere else, but I just, I really think all of these authors are really going pl places, so I'm so honored to get to be, like, a part of this anthology, um, and so, yeah, each story is different. There's something for everybody. There's anything from contemporary to fantasy to magical realism, like um, Scorpio Races, or although my story is magical realism and it's a very different vibe than Scorpio Races. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's just, it's um, it's a really great collection of short stories, I think, so. Cool. I, uh, I didn't realize that everybody in the anthology was a woman that's really cool that it's all female authors yes that's awesome um do you do you have so you mentioned that like you've done writing in bed you've done writing at your desk you've done writing at cafes do you have like a and you've written more than this and you mm -hmm. you alluded to having uh pitched another work that you're maybe I don't know if you have anything to announce about that but <clears throat> do you have like a process that you you typically go with when you're writing something do you want to walk yeah. through like what your process is like yes um well yeah so this is actually only the second short story that I've ever written but I've written three other novels um in addition to that um and so what I'm currently doing is um I have one novel that's fully like polished and so um I'm submitting it to agents um currently which for anybody that doesn't know, agents represent authors to publishing houses. Um, so that's the first step is to get an agent and then go from there um, if you want to be traditionally published. And so um, I'm submitting one of my novels um, to agents. But for the process, honestly, it depends on the book, depending on how like long or short the process takes. Um, hmm. <clears throat> but typically, um, I do a couple months of like plotting and having everything kind of, I do an outline um, and normally a chapter outline too, because I'm somebody that really likes to know where I'm headed um, for each chapter. Um, and then, but then also, of course, there are other authors that just, they get an idea and they just start writing um, and both right. out. It just depends on your process. Um, and typically I can do plotting and stuff like that in a coffee shop. I love, um, well, 
I think, I don't know if we've talked about it, but like Hyperion, which is downtown in downtown Fredericksburg is like a coffee shop spot. I adore it. (laughs) Um, And so I can do plotting there and all of that. But then when it comes to drafting, then I really need to focus. Um, So typically I'm just in my room um, in silence. A lot of writers, again, love to listen to music while they write. And I cannot do that. Um, It just distracts my brain too much. Um, So normally, yeah, drafting. And then, of course, that drafting I can normally do in a few months as well. And then editing always the time limit on or the, the time frame on that um, just depends on how much work there is to be done. Sometimes it can go super quick and sometimes the first draft is a mess and um, <laughs> it needs a lot of time. Um, and so, yeah, each stage is really different and each project is really different. Um, so you can go through one project really quickly and then the next one can take a full year to like really work on. So um, it's always it's always interesting being a writer and really never knowing um, what the next project is going to be like until you actually start writing it. So do you, when you have an idea that you know, you want to write about, are you usually like just something inspire you? Like, do you have one source of inspiration, I guess, or do you just like Mm -hmm. anything inspire you? And like, once you start writing, do you have to keep tapping into that inspiration or is it like already set in motion and you just have to do the work? Mm -hmm. Anything, that's a good question. Anything can really inspire me. So like for my um, short story, um, it's called The Little Tire Shop. um, And it is about um, a family that owns a magical mechanic shop and um, the magic is dying. And so um, they need to to come together to learn how to fix it. And so um, I was inspired by it because right outside of town is a little um, mechanic shop called The Little Tire Company. And I was like, that is Mm -hmm. the cutest name I've ever heard. Um, And I need to write a story about that shop. Um, And so that was really the seed of the idea. And then it jumped around to a couple different plot lines. And now we finally (laughs) landed on one. But um, I think um, there's always obviously like a start of inspiration, whether it's from something in town or um, a quote that I read, Pinterest is always helpful. Um, But then from there, sometimes it's really great and you feel inspired the whole time and other times it is just kind of a process of like I know that I want to do this so I'm going to write down like sit down and write it um even if I don't feel like that because certain stages are also easier than others so for me I don't like the first like I don't like drafting um I don't like the feeling of putting words onto paper and being like this does not sound good um (laughs) so that's definitely a period where like I just need to remind myself that I had inspiration. I enjoyed the story before. And once I get over like the drafting period, I'm going to enjoy it again. Um, So it fluctuates, definitely. Do you ever get, so you said um, for the little tire shop that you had multiple plot lines. Do you ever get sad about the ones that you, you don't go with? Mm. Do you like go back to those and and try to make them work? Mm. Definitely. I mean, there are always things that you can use for other stories too. Um, I feel like for me with Little Tire Shop, it was more um, like a a matter of defining my vision more. Like before I started with a different main character in somewhat of a similar situation because my story deals with grief. And so there was still that grief element to it, but it wasn't the right character and like problem to tell the story through. And it was more like a process of, I the original main character was, Um, like a teenage boy. Um, 
and it was kind of a process of like honing to become more personal and honing to like um understand the story I wanted to tell better um so then I changed it to a teenage girl that's just getting her license instead of a teenage boy that's already a mechanic um and that's obviously more personal tweaks I'm a teenage girl that's just getting her license um Hmm. and so I think there there are elements where it's more like just refining what you actually want to say and what you actually want to tell and things that drop off I definitely like still keep them written down. I still keep all of my old documents so that if I ever do want to tell a story with those characters or with that plot line, I can always go back to it, Um, which I think is really an important thing to remember because so many writers do have to let go of like pieces that they do really love, but they just don't, um, they don't better the story. They don't work with the story. Um, And I think it's really important for writers to be able to learn when it's time to let something go. for like the the bettering of the story. There was one of my uh, creative writing classes when I was getting my BA, one of my professors was telling us a story about um, something his professor told him when he was getting his degree. And his phrase was kill your darlings. Mm-hmm. So like if there's something that you're really emotionally attached to in the story almost always it doesn't actually have a place in the story. You're just too emotionally invested. And so his his recommendation in, in your writing practice is to, if you're too attached to something, you should kill it off because it probably doesn't have a place in the story. But it's like, it's so sad. <laughs> especially like with those times, like you feel so clever, like you feel like it's mm-hmm. it's like the best thing ever. And then... Um, it just doesn't translate super well. But uh, that's a phrase that I remember all the time, kill your darlings, Yes. Uh, when I'm trying to write anything. I'm not a published author, so I definitely don't have anything uh, as as uh, groundbreaking, I'm sure, as, as you have to kill. But <laughs> I have to kill. <laughs> I'm just imagining, like, your dungeon of, of all of your darlings you've killed. Oh, yes. <laughs> it's, very, it's a very big dungeon. No. Um, <laughs> I have, I do love that phrase and I've definitely heard it and heard it repeated before and like had it, um, had it have to be something that for me to do as well. Um, so yeah, definitely. Um, I, I've been there and I understand the, the killing the darlings just like, oh, it does hurt. Um, Here. <laughs> moment of silence for all the darlings that have been killed. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> So your anthology it is out. It came out two weeks ago. Is that right? Yes. So where can people find the anthology? What a great question. Um, so it's available on Amazon if you just look for Voices of the Future Anthology. Um, additionally, if you want a personalized signed copy, um, I have a personal link for that. Um, that is just... Um, I'll link that in the description so people can have that. Yeah. Perfect. So I don't have to like go read it off, but it's just author conservatory slash anthology Abby Lynn Voss um, for um, getting a personally signed copy, which is always fun. Um, And I always, I feel so cool. We just had the book launch party this weekend and like the idea that I, or the, the memory that I got to sign books like in front of people and give it to them was just insane. Um, Like it's one thing to sign them, when you're shipping them out, like sitting on your couch and just like, you kind of have Gilmore girls going on in the background and you're like signing. Right. 
Um, but to actually be signing them like with the person that you're giving it to in front of you um, was so cool. So, so cool. So, yeah. Yeah, I ended up, I missed the book launch party, but I did see the pictures and it looked like it was a really awesome turnout. It looked like it's such a good event. It really I missed it. I know what well, we missed you, but um, I definitely understand because it was also, um, the weather was not the greatest for the day, but I was, <laughs> um, I was so anxious beforehand because obviously the right before I was like, what if nobody comes? Like, what if we just sit here? Oh, like yeah. nobody comes in. Um, which I know every author one day like has to have that experience where they have some sort of event and nobody comes. Um, right. But I was so thankful that this weekend was not that experience, was not that time. Um, and when people started coming to the door, I just felt so overwhelmed and grateful. Um, so it really was just an amazing time. That's awesome. That's really, really cool. So you, um, so you mentioned that you have You've written one other short story and you have three novels. Are those ones that you said that you're pitching them to agents? Do you have any that are in the works that maybe will be published soon that you can tell us about or it's still in that pitching phase? All are still in that pitching phase. Hopefully at some point soon I might have other news. Um, But yeah, all are still in the pitching stage. And the novel that I'm pitching currently um, the little hook that I love to give for it, because it's called The Memory Man. Um, and so the little hook that I love to give is The Memory Man is in the business of grief, and Briar Walters is in desperate need of his services. Um, Ooh. So, I like it. Yes. <laughs> um, so it's a story, obviously, about grief, um, and it has. Um, it's also magical realism, so it has some magical elements to it. It has a lot of theater vibes. Um, it has a friends to lovers romance, which is my favorite. Um, and um, yeah, just a lot of a lot of really um, elements that I hope are really um, just heartwarming and and nice. So yeah, I'm excited to pitch it, and hopefully someday soon it will be out in the world for everyone. Yeah, we'll be looking for it for sure. Keep an eye out. Yeah, yeah. So along with uh, your anthology being published, we are doing a Book Bestie podcast with the help of Abby Lynn Voss, the published author. We're doing a giveaway. So for all of you listening, if you're interested in winning a copy of Voices of the Future signed by Abby... Um, there's some other little goodies that you can see in the post, but go and follow Abby on Instagram, follow Book Bestie podcast on Instagram. I'll have those linked in the description and then just tag a friend in the comments and you'll be entered to win the giveaway. And correct me if I'm wrong, I'm wrong but I think we're running that until the end of next Friday. So next Friday, the 30th, I believe. That, that sounds right? right to me. <laughs> yes. Okay. All right. Cool. Um, if not, that's in the description for the Instagram post, but a signed copy of Voices of the Future. <gasps> blah, 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 blah. <laughs> yes. I'm so excited. It's going to be so yeah. I actually, I'm always somebody that like, every time I enter a giveaway, I'm like, oh, I probably won't win it. Like, I'll just do it for fun or whatever. And then I just recently won an Instagram giveaway where I got like a bunch of bookish goodies. And so I was so excited. So you guys can win it. Like you too can win a giveaway. You too can win a giveaway. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. All right. So I, 
I ask um, all of my podcast guests a few questions. So I know we, we got all hype about the giveaway, but now we're, we're going to settle back into these questions <laughs> to close out the episode. Um, so first question is, what is your favorite book that you always recommend? Or if you don't have a favorite, what are your top three books? Oh, this is so hard. I think my top three, I'm going to go with top three. Um, and I'm okay. going to exclude all like the um, like popular YA series that I do love, like Harry Potter, Percy Jackson, and all of those. Because I love them with all my heart. But um, And Percy Jackson's about to come on Disney+. <gasps> Plus. It, it came out. I'm like oh, about was it to watch today? It. It, yes. Um, it was supposed oh. to be... It was supposed to be at 3 a.m. and they psyched everybody out and released it early. So it came out last night and I wasn't able to watch it. So right after this episode, that is what I will be doing. Um, But so I always recommend um, The Summer We Forgot, which is a YA um, like murder mystery um, with just a lot of heart and a lot of really great characters. Um, And so The Summer We Forgot is so good. and then I'm looking at my bookshelf as we speak. Um, <laughs> the Lunar Chronicles Quartet um, is just absolute perfection, a really great YA fantasy. Um, and then I think lastly, I also love the um, the Heirs of Neverland duology, which is um, Peter Pan sequels slash retellings. Um, and so those are really, really fun. Um, by Kara Swanson, um, really, really great world building and really, really good character voices. I am low-key obsessed and in love with Peter Pan in those ones, so. <laughs> but, like, nothing serious. Like, we don't need to contact a doctor or anything, right? <laughs> no, no, it's fine. Okay, yeah. Everything's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, what is your, or, I'm sorry, who is your favorite author and if you don't have a favorite, your top three favorite authors. Again, so hard. Um, I think Caroline George, who's the author of The Summer We Forgot, is probably one of my favorite authors because um, I love her other books as well. Dearest Josephine um, is up there. And then um, Of Curses and Other Buried Things as well. Um, Lee Bardugo, who is the author of Six of Crows. Um, absolutely amazing. So good. Um, I'm trying to give other authors and like the books that I named. And then, ooh, I think, I'm so torn. I'm going to give, I'm going to stick with two. Um, okay. That's um, allowed. Yes. I'll allow it. <laughs> <laughs> um, what is your favorite book format? So paperback, hardback, audiobook, ebook? Mm, yes. I would probably say paperback. Um, because I love a beautiful hardcover um and I've actually become more obsessed with them and like this year as I've become like I started looking more in Barnes and Noble and like their exclusive editions and all of that which is a very dangerous um (laughs) path to go down so I do love a good hardcover but I read before bed and so like I'm always like laying on my side and holding a hardcover just does not work with that. Um, So I do, I think paperbacks are like my preference to read. Um, And then hardcovers I just display and look at. I like that. That's 
that's a good idea. I might go into like reading ebooks, but buying hardcovers just for yes. my, my personal collection. That's kind of brilliant. Okay. All right. All right. I see you. um so uh this isn't actually one of the questions I usually ask but you're so you read like um YA fiction fantasy and you're also like sort of into the classics right like what's your what are your usual genres that you go for Ooh. um well I do love the classics um actually I shouldn't name Little Women is one of my favorite books too Little Women is probably one of my favorite classics um but um, I do, I read a lot of classics. I also like plays. Uh, I'm getting more into that. And especially like the the creatively done plays like Our Town, um, Tennessee Williams. Um, oh, and then, but also on the complete opposite of the spectrum, a lot of YA, YA fantasy, YA contemporary, um, YA magical realism, like Scorpio races, um, anything in that realm. I'm not as... Um, well read in like middle grade or adult. Um, there are a couple middle grade books that I've read that I really enjoyed. Um, but yeah, YA and then classics are really my two main genres. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, do you have a favorite bookstore? Hmm. Well, I mentioned my um, Barnes and Noble special edition, um, like mm-hmm. love. So obviously there's Barnes and Noble, um, but that's like, you know, the big like um bookstore but downtown in Fredericksburg there's Riverby Books which is a used bookstore um Mm -hmm. they also let you bring in books and then get store credit which I love um so I will just bring in books get store credit and then like walk around and find new books um which is really fun um so I love it there yeah I didn't realize that they had that program until like two months ago I think and like just before that I had given books away I think I'd taken them to Goodwill or something and I was like yeah. ah yeah dang it yeah no I could have gotten so much star credit never again <laughs> yes where do you usually do your reading so you said you read in the bed do you read do you have other places you like to read I normally do read before I fall asleep and I don't typically have a lot of time since I'm on Christmas break my goal is to read more during the day um, if I were to have like an ideal, I would just love to go to a coffee shop and read. Like that would be my favorite. Um, do you not get distracted at all in the coffee shop? I know you say you do like some of your your plotting and stuff in the coffee shop. You don't get distracted at all. I do get distracted, but I don't know. It's like a. I don't. Know, I feel like it's just a whole like vibe and aesthetic to be like I'm reading, but I'm also people <laughs> yeah. watching, and like it just feels very, it feels very relaxing to me. Um, so yeah. true. it might not be the best place to read, but like your aesthetic would be on point. So right, right, right. Yeah. The vibe, the vibes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So my last question is, um, would you like people to follow you on social? And if so, what are your socials? Yes. So, um, obviously I'm on Instagram, so it's Abby Lane Voss author on Instagram. Um, and then I also have an email list. Um, if you want to like follow more about Obviously, I talk about pitching, like the pitching process. I share more about how that's going on my email list and all of that. Um, so I think if we're able to, could we put a link in the description to like that email list or something like that? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Perfect. Um, so, yeah, that would be where you could sign up for that if anybody's interested. Cool. And um, so I'm on the email list and what Abby usually sends is like updates on stuff she's working on, um, like 
uh, we got a little sneak peek into when her book was going to be published, mm-hmm. uh, the anthology was going to be published. So it's it's cool to get updates on what Abby's doing. So email us, definitely recommend. Thank you. Yes. I love um, So I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no. I just said I love doing it. Oh, yeah. Update all the peeps. Yes, exactly. Well, that is all that I have for you. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun and is now making me want to reread Scorpio Races for a third time. So, um, no, I absolutely, I had a blast. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you again to Abby for joining me on the podcast. For our next episode, I will be joined by Sam Heflin to discuss Dark Fever by Karen Marie Monning. See you on the flip side, besties.